Welcome to season two of the Love Good Podcast, where you learn how to love what is good so you can become what you love and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons, a community of intentional consumers who curate music and books based on the transcendentals of beauty, truth, and goodness. Join us each week as we sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about media, culture, and what it means to be human. We're so happy you're here. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, um, Jimmy Mitchell. Yeah. Mm, probably shouldn't keep that. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. <laughs> okay, no, really. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. <laughs> Anyways, I think we should just start. I'm sitting down right now, really enjoying some, um, what's well, called beer nuts, like beernuts.com. Their tagline is good times, great nuts. Uh, love goods tagline is love what is good, become what you love and change the world. I think ours is better, but I'll tell you, one day we're going to get beernuts.com to sponsor an episode, and I'm going to talk about it for more than 30 seconds because it is actually that good. Uh, sipping on a glass of wine, really just enjoying my life in Nashville right now. I've been traveling like a maniac for most of the last few years, so I've just been home a lot lately. It's really nice. In fact, this particular episode, I'm sitting down in my kitchen with Annie Moses Band, all right? Annie, Alex, Gretchen, and Ben, incredibly talented. They've been in the business of making gospel hoot nanny, beautiful bluegrass music for the last 20 years, all right? But more important than that to me is the work that they do in really helping young people pursue excellence in the arts. They have a foundation. They have a conservatory. They have a summer music festival where young people all over Nashville, Tennessee can take the stage at, at Grand Ole Opry, uh, at some of the most historic venues all over this city. And frankly, I just think these folks are genre-defying, all right? And not only that, they're expectation-defying. Like, how does a family do music or even do business together? and not hate each other. Like, it's amazing to see their love. It's amazing to see really how important their witness is, especially in a world where there is no family. We've lost the institution of family in so many ways, and they really exemplify what it means to be a family. They're all married. They all have their own kids, but somehow they are still making the Annie Moses Band work. Super inspiring. Stay tuned. At the very end of this episode, I have a very exciting announcement about how you can help us spread the word of our fall sampler, lovegoodculture.com slash free, the fall sampler that's exclusive. You cannot get this music anywhere else. At least this collection of songs cannot be found anywhere else. And if you help us share it, we've got some really exciting prizes that we'll be giving away. So stay tuned for all the announcements on that. And in just a few moments, we'll be back with the Annie Moses Band. i 
Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast. We're sitting in the studio today with the Annie Moses Band, and here in the studio themselves is Annie, Alex, Gretchen, and Ben. How are y'all doing? Oh, we're doing great. Thanks for having us, Jimmy. So good. So good. This is the second, maybe third time ever I've had the privilege of sitting down with a family, and it's always interesting just figuring out microphones and like, how did you guys all know to be synced up as you said hello right there? That was so impressive. (laughs) We've had to do too many radio, like, hi, we're the Annie Moses Band. (laughs) So good. And let's face it, we've all heard of family bands. We read about family bands. We we admire family bands, but y'all have been in this for at least 10 years now. Right? Mm-hmm. Even longer? Yeah, longer. yeah, almost almost 20, really. I mean, like ah, yeah, 16, going on, I guess 16 years, really. Because it stretches yes. back even with your parents' involvement and all kinds of things, right? Give me a little bit of the story because it's amazing to see how well you guys love each other. And I'm always like, <laughs> how do they do it? You know, it's crazy. Well, it's true. Yeah. Um, so this, you know, this is Annie. Our story is kind of a, a long one and unusual in the sense that it's it's very much a multi-generational musical adventure of sorts. We trace back our musical lineage to Annie Moses, who is our great-grandmother, and she died very young. She passed away when she was 49 of cancer, and she was a very poor, low-income worker. She lived in a little clapboard shack in the middle of Texas and worked cotton fields and was had a little bit of piano in her life. Nobody really knows how she learned to play the piano. She could play piano a little bit. But her daughter, Jane, grew up to be our grandmother and had a a really amazing natural musical gift, primarily as a singer. And despite having grown up very poor, was determined that when she had children of her own, that those children were going to study music. And she made that promise a reality in the life of our mother, Robin. Our mom, Robin, met our dad in college, and the two of them were very much interested in Christian music and being writers and ended up writing a hit song for Sandy Patty called Make His Praise Glorious back in 1988. And I was, goodness, I guess about five years old at the time. Hmm. And that was such a big song for them and launched their careers and moved our family to Nashville. And so we all grew up here, but we started the Annie Moses Band when we were in high school. Our mother was a really type A tiger mom practicer, and we had all started playing instruments when we were very, very young. And so when we really got where we were studying hard, we ended up going to the Juilliard School for about three years. And during that time started Annie Moses Band. And so we were in high school. You know, Mm -hmm. I was 17, 18. Gretchen here was eight. Seven. Uh Yeah, seven or eight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so we, um, you know, the younger siblings were not very involved in the beginning. And as we developed musically and people grew up, the the nature of the music we were making and the nature of what we were doing as a family Mm -hmm. morphed. But, you know, we've been doing this now for you know, 15, 16 years. And um, it's really amazing to see what God has called us to as a family and the fact that we find so much fulfillment in doing what we do together. It's amazing. Gretchen, are you the youngest in the band? No, my There's younger brother, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, is the youngest in the group and he is 21. That's yes. cool. Yeah. Okay. So I hadn't pieced all together. Who's the oldest then? I am Annie. But I've got the white beard, so I just want to say that's cool. Alex looks the oldest. 
That's just wisdom, Alex. That's all that is. So I, tell my, I tell my five-year-old, she says, Papa, why is your beard white? I say, because I'm very wise. <laughs> it's classic. I'm curious. And, you know, I'm, I was a middle child, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't ever have the responsibility of the oldest or the attention of the youngest. I could kind of fly under the radar screen. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine at any point you guys have felt like you were flying under a radar screen, right? Like within... How many months or how many years of this taking off did you realize this was possibly the beginning of a career, that you were going to have a, a very public life, whether that was through the recording of records or the mm-hmm. you know, launching of summer festivals or just standing on stage, sometimes night after night? Mm-hmm. How did you process that even 20 some odd years ago? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, how do you even kind of make, make peace terms with that now when I'm sure there's a lot of demands on now your own families and your mm-hmm. own lives and yet you're still synced up and making it look so easy how do you do it it's mm. a good question i think part of it is just the fact that when you perform a lot when you're younger you lose a lot of the natural inhibitions that i think um mm-hmm. close up a lot of people i think I've, I've seen polls where people say that they fear death and public speaking those are like the two greatest fears <laughs> And I remember being 11 and uh, we had this comedy skit where I would do this mixed up Bible sermon and we would be performing in churches. And and I remember the first time that I did it, my mom saying, now, Ben, don't be afraid. Just go for it and just do it. And I was terrified. But, you know, you you start doing it and pretty soon you lose your self-consciousness and you start to realize that what you're doing is really expressing love to your audience and communicating to Mm -hmm. them and really just expanding the circle of family love mm-hmm. and hopefully making them feel included in something important and something special. So that's a worthy cause and something that's worth doing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And of yeah. the six of you, how many of you are married with your own kids now? Half or so? Or? All but two. All yeah. but two. Yeah. Gretchen Jeremiah, yeah. only, only As yet unaffiliated. As yet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are, though, 10 grandchildren That's or amazing. nieces My and nephews fourth. under the age of seven. That's yeah. got to be a joy. Yeah, yeah. it is. So it is, it is. W- when you get around each other for holidays, and maybe especially when you're just reminiscing, I hope that happens mm-hmm. sometimes with your parents. You know, mm-hmm. I can't imagine how cool and joyful those <laughs> conversations must be. But you probably laugh a ton because you realize this has been quite a windy path, you know, that's mm-hmm. brought you to this point. Mm-hmm. What, are the, what are the things you hear them say? You know, I would, I would imagine they have, you know, a few decades on you guys, a little more life experience and wisdom. How do they process this family band that kind of, was given life right beneath them, you know, maybe without them even knowing, like, did they see it all coming? I don't think so. I mean, they, we, we tell people that it's funny because they started training us in music when we were very, very young, four years old around each of us or about four when we started an instrument of some kind. And, um, that I don't think they had, and we played together when we were young, but nobody had conceived of it becoming, a band, quote mm. unquote, or commercializing it, you know, where we do it for money or for a living, you know? And so that's, I think, something that kind of snuck up on them in some ways. But, you know, they are people that have had a lot of varying types of experience. And they were really critical in us being able to launch the band when we did, because, you know, when you're in high school and don't know anything, you know, you need somebody that knows, yeah. you know, so that was, they were a really key part of that and remain a key part of the creative team and, and very involved. So we all kind of are right there together. So the opposite of what you often hear, you know, mm-hmm. about like parents kind of pushing their kids in that direction, mm-hmm. forcing them mm-hmm. to practice, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm not saying that it was always easy. No, for they you had guys. to force me to practice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's cool though. It's just like 
super yeah. inspiring, you know, like yeah. to think, oh gosh, like it's possible, you know, mm-hmm. for your kids mm-hmm. to not just be getting along 10, 15, 25 years later, but to mm-hmm. collaborate the way that you guys do to bring mm-hmm. beauty to the forefront of so much mm-hmm. of not just your life, but your, your craft. It's mm-hmm. really inspiring. Well, I think looking back, it's for me on the reminiscing level, I think back a lot to the early days, particularly, you know, my dad was like the breadwinner, you know, so my dad was paying for all these lessons and paying for us to travel all these places for lessons and all, you know, all that we did. And my mother approached music kind of almost like in an Olympic sort of capacity, you know, it was like, you know, we were building, but all of that was not through the lens of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And that was a very key difference of philosophy and and view, because from the time we were very little, there was this idea that you could not give to the Lord that which cost you nothing, and that God deserved the very, very best. You know, I remember hearing, you know, scriptures like, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. We like to say that the Bible says everybody has to sing, but it says play skillfully. (laughs) If you have breath, praise the Lord, but you have to play. If you're going to play something, play skillfully. (laughs) And, you know, I think it's very ironic that my parents' first hit song was taken from the Psalms that say to praise the Lord with the stringed instruments and praise the Lord with the harp and lyre and the loud and clashing cymbals and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so those... Those concepts were all all around us growing up. And and it's funny because I never thought of that that pursuit applying to like contemporary Christian music. I never that I never conceived of that. I mean, I, I thought for a long time that we would just pursue classical careers and we were gonna play chamber music or maybe play the symphony or do do that that kind of thing. But what we found is that when we played together that there was something that was magical and mystical and felt very deeply spiritual. And in a world where there is no family, where people look around and they, they don't have mamas and daddies and they don't have brothers and sisters or that whole, mm-hmm. like seeing, seeing a family, seeing a mother who said, you know, I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to spend five hours of my day practicing with my six kids, you know, that, that like that, there's a, there's like a spiritual principle of that grace kind of building up. It's like a, this deep well. And at, at some point it kind of hit the overflow. And I think it did in the Annie Moses band. I think that's what people experience when they come to a show. Um, I think it's also what people experience when they're a part of our nonprofit and our music education and, and, what we want to accomplish with young artists. The life of the artist in these times is very hard. Mm. It's very hard. It's hard to make a living. It's hard to say, hey, you know, when we first started, we all lived under the same roof. We don't all live under the same roof anymore. You know, mm. we're paying for more roofs. And, and all of that brings all these pressures from without. But the point of faith is to say that God doesn't take you down a dead end road. Mm. You know, he everything this moment in your life is tethered to all these decisions that came many many years before and god was in those decisions just as much as he's in the moment now and so that that keeps us bound together i think in a special way i just love what you said 
this kind of ties up so much of the last few thoughts that you've you've offered is that you know you can't give to the Lord what hasn't cost you something. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there's a lot of costs involved in keeping a family band together and launching a foundation that includes, you know, a conservatory and a music festival. And, you know, we haven't even brought up Man Alive Records where mm-hmm. you're pouring in in a very professional and commercial way into artists and young mm-hmm. singer-songwriters as well. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of kind of mutual friends involved uh, mm-hmm. in some of those yeah. efforts. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, for me, amazing to see that actually um, there's a lot of risk-taking involved mm-hmm. every step of the way, you know, yeah. and there's a lot of trust. And uh, I can just kind of tell that in each of you there's a there's a peacefulness, you know, mm-hmm. like you, <laughs> you're not trying to like wrangle this thing either. You're, you're yeah. allowing it to unfold, but you're working your, your tails off along the way. Mm-hmm. Again, really inspiring for a young entrepreneur, for a young artist, for someone who most of the time is just sort of like this wandering missionary, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really good for me to see because it gives me a vision of what's possible and that, hey, it's, it's worth every effort. Mm-hmm. I'm curious especially mm-hmm. to hear more about the, the foundation and just mm-hmm. the love that you have for young aspiring artists, the desire even for those who are in you know high school and younger to begin cultivating their own gifts, their own talents. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're just giving uh, away what was first given to you, right? Mm-hmm. From a young age, mm-hmm. sounds like that was an investment your parents made in each of you, but what inspired not just like doing some lessons on the side, but launching a whole foundation to support that? Well, much like the band, it grew It grew in the telling. We performed a lot, beginning as a family. And then just the family dynamic on the stage, other families started to see what we were doing. And so they would come up to us after the concert and say, how did you do this? How, how did you keep uh, children practicing? You know, asking parent, our parents questions. And, and it was just amazing to see what a desire there was for this. And so we began to find opportunities to plug into that need and to feed it. And I remember we got a call from uh, from a, a lady in North Carolina who ran a, a fine arts camp at a church there. And she said, would you come and just help us out for a week? And, and you can come in as artists in residence and and you can teach and do other things. We had never done anything like that. So we came and, and by the end of the week, we were busting with ideas about what we would do next time. And so then we came back the next year and pretty soon we were writing whole shows for these for these kids yeah. uh, that, so that combine genres. And- sure. That program grew into the Annie Moses Summer Music Festival. Um, we are going into our 16th. I think we just completed our 16th event. We have to yeah. double check our count. I know. Ah. Like every year. count every year. We need um, to like create a little calendar. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, we have, you know, 150 plus young people that come from all over the world to Nashville to work alongside the Annie Moses Band. We've got about... I don't know, 40-ish faculty that join us for that. And it's all the orchestral instruments plus musical theater, so voice, drama. This year we put on four professional level shows that were all genre specific in a 10-day period. So you have a jazz show, an Americana show, a huge final gala with special guests, choir and orchestra. And this year we debuted a brand new um musical Broadway adaptation of A Christmas Carol called Merry Christmas Uncle Scrooge. And so, you know, that that type of event is is a huge, you know, catalyst for inspiration in the life of these young artists. It's also incredibly demanding. And in the world of music education, there is this an incredible backhanded insult to most young artists 
that is low expectations. Mm. I don't really expect that you are capable of any, of anything particularly extraordinary. And and the fact of the matter is, you know, in churches every day, in communities every day, we spend bazillions of dollars on coffee makers and Xboxes and basketball programs for people who will never be taller than five foot eight. And, and yet, yeah, I know. Me too, Jenny, right? (laughs) Spoken as a true height challenge woman. Um, And yet, you know, you have Mozart's and Beethoven's that run all through your halls, knowing that God has commanded every person to sing and that built within the fabric of every human being is the desire to create Mm -hmm. because we are Mm sub-creators of the creator. Mm -hmm. And and so casting that vision for parents and helping families navigate that Mm -hmm. has been a huge calling of our family Mm -hmm. Um, and something that we lived out without even really being aware that was happening. It's like Mm -hmm. in hindsight, we said, oh, well, you know, that's what happened. You should do X. This is how you fix that. And yeah. and so much of that was my parents, you know, really being spiritually connected. Mm-hmm. And well, so and, it's, it's great would, that we've been able to do that. Well, and I would say, too, and this kind of touches on what you guys do here at Love Good, is that, you know, our culture is built on artistic media more than it's ever been. Right. And our capacity or opportunity to consume art is greater than it's ever been. And so for us, part of the calling of saying, you know, we need to create and equip people with artistic tools is that when people have been trained artistically, they have artistic discernment that is not there when they are merely a consumer. Mm. And people Mm -hmm. that have been trained to make judgments about the quality of what they're making themselves, the quality of what other people make, gives them a whole other way of analyzing what is broadcast to them throughout the cultural media, you know? And so for us, it's really a missional drive of saying, if we don't raise up, particularly those who are of the faith to understand and to know that, then we're raising them up to basically be marketers. Passive consumer. Correct, Mm -hmm. correct. So anyway, that's a, a huge part of it. But Mm. back to your original question, I mean, we do definitely see that it's looking back in retrospective, you know, we see that Annie Moses had this small faithfulness, you know, that went to our grandmother with a few piano lessons. And then our parents were professional musicians that took it and took it to all of their kids and took us to the best schools in the world to study music. Mm-hmm. And now this is sort of our, obviously we have our own kids coming up, but along with them, we're now doing this bigger program that is reaching hundreds of students. And so in a really beautiful way, it's like an expounding and kind of multiplication of one seed, you know, from 60 years ago, 80, 80 years ago. I love um, it. And still somehow finding time to write your own music. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. We have to work for that. Yeah. You do have to fight for yeah. that time, don't you? Yeah. Your own creative time. Well, it's like so dang inspiring. You know, I think about like a, a lot of the influences in my own life, books that I read, artists that I came across, they just naturally raised my standard. And mm. what I mean to say is I started to taste like real truth and beauty and goodness. Mm -hmm. And it started to put all the 
counterfeits that most of us settle for, mm-hmm. especially kind of in mainstream media and culture, we settle a lot. Mm-hmm. We don't even have a taste for those higher things until we're perhaps exposed to them. You know, mm-hmm. the younger mm-hmm. we're exposed, the better, because it's easy yeah. to be really closed off and actually like not even realize that you've got Mozart in front of you, as mm-hmm. you put it, rocking mm-hmm. down your hall. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool. I am curious. So how in the world do you find time to still write, to still perform? I know you're working on an album right now, Under the Tree of Life, set to release mm-hmm. in the spring. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about mm-hmm. that and just kind of what goes into your still creative process as a band? Well, that is a very good question. Um, Well, we're currently um, in the recording phase of the album, so that's pretty exciting, and it's really good to get back in the studio because it's been a while since our last release. But, uh, you know, with with all the things that we juggle, we really have to, like, you know, as you just said, fight for that creative space, you know. But it's always really amazing when you get back into that zone, just how much it – it flows, you know, and it flows, especially for us in relationships, you know, and then things that we are reading or discussing just between ourselves. So that's, that's something that's really special, especially in the family dynamic. So, yeah, yeah. I think um, for, for this project, it really was born out of just, we've done a couple of projects, both for Warner Brothers. One was uh, a project called American Rhapsody that was an Americana project that we're very proud of, really love. And then um, we did a PBS special called The Art of the Love Song that also really turned out well and and really loved that project. But as we were doing a lot of these more secular songs, we found ourselves writing more spiritual material, almost in a sacred, semi-classical vein, mm-hmm. and wondering what was manifesting. And then pretty soon you start to see an album forming <laughs> mm-hmm. out of all the songs that you're writing. And, and it's really just an amalgamation of wonderful prayers, mm-hmm. prayers of the saints and a sacred scripture and then some original songs and uh, yeah i think one of the the core thoughts on the album is the idea of healing or solace or comfort you know the there's this incredible image of the tree of life in heaven and you know that all the nations of the world come underneath the branches of the tree of life in heaven and what a beautiful image that is of unity and harmony and love in our world. And these things, these, those are terms that, I don't know, there's kind of this big Instagram kumbaya, (laughs) you know, thing that turns on when you even say those words. Um, But I think that people, people are aware that a lot of the decisions that were made about the way in which life should be lived, you know, over the last 50 years, we're starting to see the fruit of that over several generations. And a lot of people particularly millennials, I think, are kind of waking up and going, "Is does this work? Does this work? Is this all? Is, I'm not sure that this works. And, and really coming to grips with that. And a lot of people need, are just in such great spiritual, emotional need of healing. And I think that, you know, when you look at the epidemic of suicide, the epidemic of opioid abuse or the epidemic of mental illness. All of those things are symptoms of a world in which we have lost track of what it means to be a human and what it means to be made in the image of God and to know how to feed your spirit. And while we love, you know, to play great fiddle music and we love to sing love songs and we love to do those. And I I don't don't diminish those projects because we felt those, but this catalog of material are songs that has been growing and building in us over several years. And so 
we have a great, I don't know, I feel a bit of kind of catharsis myself in just having the chance to put them into a project and record them. And, and I think that it's going to be really meaningful for a lot of people. At least that's, that's our hope. So we're excited about it. It's amazing. And as you put it, we're living in a world where there really isn't family anymore, mm-hmm. a sense of family. So for you all to come forth a project like this as a family, to invite people really into your own life of prayer, your own encounter with God is, is, like, is no less than I think a really beautiful and transformative thing, you know? And uh, so I'm grateful. I cannot wait to hear the album. I'm also just really grateful for who you guys are. You're one of the the families in town uh, that constantly encourage me, even at a distance. And a lot oh, of that's just text messages you. back and forth with Alex. <laughs> but it's just so good to yeah. know that you exist and that you mm-hmm. are who you are, that you do what you do, and that you don't compromise along the way. Well, so, thank you. Likewise. Thank you, yeah, yeah. Likewise. yeah. Thanks be to God for that. Thank Let's you. close out by just a brief uh, word about how people can stay in touch with you, best way to be tracking you on social media, how they can be in touch when the new album comes out, things like that. Well, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Annie Moses Band. It's Annie, as they, I guess they'll see it in the podcast title probably, so they don't don't have to look it up. But all of those ways, check out our website and sign up for the email list. Yeah, if you're interested in the foundation, you can go to AnnieMoses.org. You can give there and and help us continue this mission. AnnieMosesBand.com will also link you there. And if you know of young folks in your community, who share this mission, send them to the Annie Moses Summer Music Festival, bring them out to the Conservatory of Annie Moses and let them be a part of this mission because we're making a movement, folks. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. You guys have been amazing. Thank you so much for the joy. Annie, Alex, Gretchen, Ben. Until Thank next you. time. Thank you. Moses Band, everybody. Wow. What a pleasure to get to sit down with them. I've known Alex actually for a few years. He's as much an artist as he is an entrepreneur. So we're always kind of sharing crazy ideas about how we can change the world. Really, really fun stuff. But I'll tell you, the line that really jumped out at me in that conversation is when Annie said that, you know, you cannot give what costs you nothing. All right. So if you're anything like me, you're always wondering, like, what is my life really all about? Like, how do I find meaning, purpose, fulfillment, joy, freedom, integrity, you know? And it's actually so much wrapped up in, in making that gift of self. The, the, the very thing that costs us the most is actually the thing that we're meant to give away. The thing that's really meant to be a gift for the world. So, man, I'm really inspired by that. And I'm going to be pondering that one for the next few days specifically. Next week, we're going to be back, as always, every other week with Alana Boudreaux, my trusted co-host. And actually, uh, I told you at the very beginning of the show, 
that we have an exciting announcement about how you can get some awesome free stuff. Well, here's the deal, okay? For 48 hours only, uh, and while supplies last, you can send five or even 10 of your friends to lovegoodculture.com slash free, okay? If you send five with your name in the referral box, you're going to get our brand new Rainier Rilke poetry book, currently only in the hands of our patrons. If you send 10 with your name in the referral box, you're going to get our brand new Love What Is Good t-shirt, Literally only in the hands of about, I don't know, 150 patrons in eight countries right now, okay? So what that means is if you get to 10, you get the book and the t-shirt. And your friends, your family members, they all get our amazing fall sampler. Absolutely free with exclusive tunes not to be found on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else, okay? This is kind of a big deal. We're really excited about it. you got 48 hours to join in on this referral blitz madness. And uh, just know that we've got an amazing show coming up next week. So we'll see you sooner than later. We love you guys. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to season two of the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media and be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. You can join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at lovegoodculture.com. Start enjoying our seasonal packages that will raise your standard for media and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.